Hi and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Mel. I'm Katie. And we're your hosts. This week we watched Incredibles 2, directed by Brad Bird and released in 2018. The plot of Incredibles 2 goes something like this. When Elastigirl is asked to rehabilitate the reputation of superheroes everywhere, Mr. Incredible stays home to care for their kids. And as we usually do, we'll do a quick spoiler-free plot summary up front where we tell you whether you should see this movie. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. The, I, so, I sort of feel like, again, this is a movie where people, you know, are already going to see it. Uh-huh. But um, I thought it was great. Definitely a worthy follow-up to The Incredibles. So if you like that movie, then you'll like this one. Um, it's very much kind of in the spirit of the original to me. And it's fun and it looks great. So... Yes. Yeah. This is like the most Pixar-y film that Pixar's put out in a few years, to my mind. Like probably since Toy Story 2, this is like a return to form for mm. Pixar in a way. they've. I mean, like good on them for trying different things, but this is definitely traditional Pixar formula and it's really fun mm. and it looks amazing and the voice performances are all fantastic. And I, yeah, I just, this was really, really fun to watch. And yeah, it is very much a worthy successor to the original. And it has a good short on the front, um, which is Pixar's first female-directed short. <laughs> I, <laughs> We should probably get into spoilers before we talk about the short. Well, even I liked the short. the short, but Katie I didn't, giggled. I didn't dislike it, but I don't think it had the effect on me that it was supposed to have. No, no, I didn't. But no, it, I thought it was a good short. Yeah, because, I mean, uh, should we get into spoilers? Yeah, okay, let's talk spoilers then. I think it really depends on if you buy into the concept that her, the dumpling turns into a child or, like, is cute at all. Because I didn't find it cute. I found it disturbing. And I was like, you'd never eat again if you thought your food was going to come to life. Or, like, maybe I bought into it too much yeah. and wasn't looking at it as a metaphor because I was like, this is so – it's just – I mean – I like weird, but it was too weird for me. And then when she eats the dumpling at the end of her dream, I could not stop laughing because I thought that was about the funniest thing. Like if they'd ended it there, I would have thought it was the funniest short that Pixar had ever made. But then they were like, oh, no, it's a metaphor for her real son. And I was like, oh, that's boring. <laughs> so, yeah, anyway. well, I just thought it was really sweet. And like the first time I watched it, I it genuinely worked on me because I found myself like tearing up at the end where he brings the little buns and they sit together and eat buns. Yeah, but I mean, we we don't see her son existing before that. No, no, we only ever and see also, the baby. Thing. I was really confused. Okay, so that she, the other guy there is obviously supposed to be her husband, right? But she looks so young to me that I thought at the beginning of the short that she was a little boy. Oh, when no, she's no, looking she looks out like the a window. middle-aged woman. Oh, she do- okay, when she looks out the window, she looks like a little boy. But all the rest of the time, she looks like a middle-aged woman to me. Well, once once I knew that, it was a little bit different. But she just, I thought she was his daughter. And I was, so I didn't even know that she, you know, was old enough to have a kid. Right. <laughs> and they, they never introduced the kid at the beginning. So I didn't know it was a metaphor for anything. So I was just like, this is a very strange It just seemed to short. me like a really nice metaphor for growing up with immigrant parents. And like, you know, they pick out their weird food and they do their weird Tai Chi and all you want to do is run off and play soccer with the other kids and be like the other kids. But it all sort oh, of comes... Oh, I thought it was a metaphor for overprotective parents. No, no. Be... No, it's I think it's specifically immigrant parents because it's specifically set in Toronto in Canada because the, the um, woman who directed it is Canadian and has Chinese parents. And so... Like that, I was so really that, distracted by her food coming to life. To me, that's very disturbing imagery. 
It just is very, like, that's very disturbing, weird imagery. And then she goes around and picks food, and I'm like, well, what if one of them comes to life, huh? What are you going to do? The lettuce that Like, you what if it smell? screams while you're eating it? Like, this is the thing. Like, it just is, when you introduce that concept to me, that's all I can think about. Right. To me, it wasn't like a cute thing. It was like, this is food. Everybody's just treating it normally, and it's food. It's a dumpling. I just thought it was yeah, like beautiful sort of metaphor. And the food there as well, like the immigrant culture of food, and so um, I just took you, it too literally. Then. Yeah, and you know, because when the kid is an adolescent, he rejects his mother's food and opens a can of like soda. But he's not a kid. He's a dumpling. I mean, yeah, but he's clearly meant to be a kid. I know, but it it to me it was just a, a dumpling acting like a child. Not a metaphor, like a dumpling walking around and acting like a person and everybody treating it like a person when it's a dumpling and it could get eaten at any moment. And that's why she was overprotective of it. Yeah. Because it's literally a dumpling and then she eats it at the end. That's funny to me. Yes. I mean, well, yeah, because it's, well, it's that whole, the overprotectiveness though is part of the, is part of the immigrant parent experience as well. I get it now. And you see, and you, but they, to tell it, teach you, teach you how to believe that they, you know, it's. So the child is so fragile because he's a pork bun and he could be eaten. Yes. And then she eats him. Yeah. Like she eats she eats her child in this I thing. Know, she and loses then she it wakes so up much. And then we discover that it was all a metaphor. But we don't like the the thing is, Pixar's shorts aren't always metaphors. Mm. They frequently ask us to buy into magical realism. And and there's no introduction to suggest that this is a metaphor. So I was like, oh, it's just a real living pork bun. Which is Funny to me. It just yeah. was funny. And there's heaps of funny moments in there and weird moments and stuff. I don't know. I just, I liked it. I thought it was good. It's but, not bad. I just didn't, I just didn't, it doesn't work for me. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> but I have the same problem whenever I watch ads with like um, anthropomorphized food in them. Because mm. I'm like, if I think my food has, is, has a face, has sentience, yeah. not a face, because I, I eat animals, but like if I think it has like sentience, like it, you know, uh. can make decisions and grow up like a human. I I would never eat anything again. This is food that she made. We watched her make it. Mm. Like we watched her, and then like as a joke, she gives it more pork stuffing at one point. <laughs> but it grows without that anyway. That's my favorite bit. Well, yeah, but he eats lots of things and grows. You see, him yes, I know, but it's growing. it's so it it's yeah. Like, I just don't understand how if you lived in that world, you would ever eat anything again. You'd just be like, all of my food could suddenly come alive. So how could you, like, it would be a, an anarchistic, insane world of, like, <laughs> weird sentient things all trying to eat right. each other. In, instead of a, a metaphorical dream about uh, stifling your child. Yes, but yeah. we don't get any hints that it's a dream or metaphorical. And this is Pixar, which usually, like, a lot of the time it's just right there in front of us mm. so that's what i assumed it was mm. okay anyway anyway but on to actually I, I the movie. cried laughing when she ate it like no i, I, I it know it's so funny to me like this little dumpling comes home with his girlfriend with its girlfriend and i was like who's gonna date a dumpling and then <laughs> i was like that girl has really low standards <laughs> and then she eats her child dumpling oh it's just so like I'm crying laughing now, thinking about it. It makes me laugh so hard. Anyway. Okay. Anyway, the movie, um, Incredibles 2, though, that follows I'd it. I'd forgotten the short until you mentioned no, it. No, no, yeah. I remembered how bizarre that is. Well, that's me. why I thought it would be funny to bring up, because we both reacted to, we reacted to it so differently. Yes. Um. Yeah. But anyway, the, the actual movie, though, The Incredibles 2, is 
incredible. No, it's really good. It is a very good movie. It is very good. I found it a little frustrating, but that's not the movie's fault. Um, yeah. It's just that, like, literally the first time you meet the bad guy, she's introduced as Evelyn Dever, which sounds like evil endeavor. Yeah. Which you are, just pronounce Evelyn another way, which is very common to pronounce e- Evelyn. And yes, their name and is Dever as well, which is weird because you get introduced to him and he's Winston Dever, so you know some Endeavor is in their name. Yeah. Yeah. So I yeah, so I was like already picking up on all those things. And I was like, Winston Dever, what does that mean? Like that doesn't mean anything. But then yeah. so I was already looking out for it and then they introduce Evelyn Dever and I'm like, Oh, her name is literally Evil Endeavor. Yeah. She is clearly the bad guy in this. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I didn't pick that up. Like I watched this twice and didn't pick it up the first time. I just kind of I don't I don't guess I didn't care about her name. But that said, watching it through the second time, from the moment she's introduced, you kind of see her as this entitled brat. And the way they dress her and stuff all shows her up as a particular, like she has this great, not great, she has this long, uh, slightly incoherent anti-capitalist rant through the middle of the movie when um, when uh, Elastigirl's trying to f- track her down. But at the same time, she's like really entitled and like oh, the first shot is of her offloading all of her stuff onto the butler and like she's wearing these really, really fancy coats and stuff and she has all this supervillain gear and she's completely profiting off this system of capitalism while at the same time going, my very reason for doing this is because capitalism is bad. Yes. And I actually quite liked the rant in the middle because it was this kind of unhinged mm. um, thing. And it was it was so um, – it set the mood so well. For, and that mm. is basically my favorite thing about this whole movie is the mood and aesthetic of it, which uh-huh. is really cool. Oh, um, but um, That mid-century stuff. My God. Yeah. But Evelyn, I mean – I don't know. I think that her, the way they styled her was quite cool. The way she was like always lounging on things and stuff. Mm, mm. Um, yes. And, and like they don't... Sit, sitting in, like she would just like cross her legs and sit in, in the corner in really plush rooms and things. Yeah. Can't, she can't, there's a shot where um, Elastigirl comes into the his office and Elastigirl's coming in and he's been reading the newspapers and Evelyn sort of appears from the shadows in the mm. corner. She's just sitting cross-legged. It's, oh God, that's a good shot. It's, I think the whole thing is like, meant to recreate one single shot because mm. you follow Elastigirl in and then like they eventually reveal the boat and mm. it's all basically one shot. It's very clever. Yeah. The way that this movie was shot was incredible. Yeah. It was so, so gorgeous. Like there were three times in the first 10 minutes that I go, wow, I went, wow, that's a great shot. Uh-huh. Yeah. One of them was like when they're in the elevator mm. and they go up and there's the city beneath them. They go through the clouds and you can just see their reflections mm. and then it comes up and you, oh, it was oh, so yeah. gorgeous. I loved Beautiful. that. Beautiful. Um, there's one where um, Elastigirl is like chasing the hel- the helicopter with the ambassador in it and yeah, it's yeah. from below and suddenly her arms appear shooting up and then she shoots up yeah, after it. Up this sign, it, yeah. It looked to me very um, Tim Burton Gotham esque. Yeah, yeah, um, I, yeah. Which I really, really liked. I, I also, yeah, a bit of um, because of the way Elastigirl moves herself around as well. She's a bit Spider Man ish, mm. um, and that sort of New York City by night and the skyline thing is really cool. It is. I loved it. I love the way it looked, and I loved the way it sounded. Michael Giacchino's score is amazing. Such a good score in this um, film. His, I mean, it was always a good score, but I think he upped the ante in this one. The Frozone theme when he comes in is so cool. Um, and, and not to mention the Frozone song over yes. the end credits that's like Shaft. Yeah. Um, I loved all of that stuff, which was um, arranged by Alex Lackenwall from um, – from Hamilton, which is cool. Yeah, um, it just oh my, it looks so amazing, and because it's um, because it's set in the 1960s, they do all the all the um, like it's a really beautiful Tomorrowland, Walt Disney esque 
version of the 1960s or like the house that they get the super villain lair that they go to is like this beautiful mid-century modern house and all the cars look amazing and the way they dress everybody like it's just gorgeous yeah i didn't know it was set in the 60s i always just sort of assumed it was set in some alternate dimension where like 60s style was cool now because it does i mean the technology is not 60s some of the technology, almost all of it is though. Like it's, they use telephones and they do and monorails and, and things like but that. But they use the things that like are 60s aesthetic. Yeah, it, it's it's like Walt Disney's Tomorrowland, very much. But in it is probably it is almost certainly an alternate universe. Like there's a bit where um the kids call their mother while she's on the motorbike, mm. and that to me is not, like that's very this era as yeah. opposed to that's not the 60s where you have, but like. You could probably explain that by saying, you know, they they um, had an office phone number for her and then it transferred through or something. But or every other phone that you see is a landline with a cord and st- or with yes, a cordless landline. There's also a car with a remote control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I mean, there's just it's not it's yeah, 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 impossible technology. Also, um, I figured very early on as well that the the um the logo for the company the dev corp or whatever mm, yeah is an eye it's in the shape of an eye yeah of course so you're like oh wow this whole eye thing is going to carry through and then she goes to the layer of the fake layer of um of screenslaver which yeah, is yeah. an amazing name but only works if you know what a screensaver is well that this was the other thing is like the people in the 60s don't know what a screensaver is right so that's why I'm I'm like oh no it's just an alternate universe like yeah, an yeah, alternate yeah. now with 60s aesthetics. Yeah yeah. Um, I mean like re- realistically um yes but there is like a it's ca- canonically in the first film that you see Bob reading a newspaper that says 1962 on the date. Okay. And this obviously finishes immediately after the first film. Yes it does. Starts yeah. immediately after the first film finishes it. It it also ends in exactly the same place the first film ended. But anyway, it, well, so you could argue that it's not inc- entirely necessary. Yeah, I mean, well, that's right. There's a whole lot of um, it, there's a lot of retreading of what went on in the first one. But I, I feel like it does it in an interesting way. I think so too. I'm just, I'm just saying that, like, I mean, literally the only loose end that it tidies up is that the parents don't know about Jack Jack's powers. Mm, mm. But Edna makes a suit for Jack Jack in the first one that's supposed to be like you never know what he's going to get up to, so it withstands everything anyway. Yeah. Where did that suit go? I don't know. Because she has to make another one yeah, for him in this one. Suit with like... But it's more of a like containment suit rather well, yeah, than a protection Maybe suit. in the original one, she, yeah, like she just sort of made it out of the special material, but this time she had to like adjust it with. But we don't even hear about retardant. it. No. So. It, yeah, no, it, it was a weird like when he needed some sleep. I thought like it was going to go all tully on us and hire him a night nanny. <laughs> Honestly, when I I went to write the script for this episode and it was I had to write it over the tully script intro script and I was like, you know what? These movies have quite a bit in common. Yeah, <laughs> you know how hard it is to raise kids. Um, although what else they what they they do have in common though, or rather what it was oh, I really liked about um, Mister Incredible and his parenting is that he's actually parenting. There's no dad babysitting the kids. It's not like the ads you see on TV where like mum is at work, so dad buys pizza. Like there's he actually parents the children. Mm. He doesn't let them have sugary cereal. He's serious about helping with the homework. He tries to help his teenager through an emotional crisis. Like he's a good dad, and he does a good job when he's he's parenting and yeah. him on his own, which I thought was really nice. Yeah, and um, 
Yeah, and the 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 jobs are given equal weight, which is nice. Right, and there was the bit at the beginning where um you know Violet says I want to do important work, and the whole point of the movie is to show that the parenting is important work, looking after the baby, looking after yeah. the, and looking after the most vulnerable member of the family as well, like the nice. Which is funny because of all of them, I think Jack Jack is probably the most invulnerable member of the family. Right, but... he's got all these powers, but also because he's still a baby, he needs lots of looking after. But I don't know. And the other thing I like about the Incredibles movies is that it's a kids' movie with kids in it, where it's not like getting the parents out of the way. Mm. Like the family, the kids and the parents work together. They're all integral to each other's lives. The kids save the parents at the end. Yeah, it's like a real family. Like the family is important. It's not like, yeah, so many kids' movies are just like, that's why you have so many dead parents and stuff, because you get it, got to get the parents, you want to get the parents out of the way so the kids can have an adventure. But this kind of shows that that's not necessary. You can have an, a kids' adventure. Well, this isn't this isn't a kids' adventure movie. It's not. It's a. It's a. I mean, the first one was about Bob, and this one's about like with Helen at home. This one's about Helen with Bob at home. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's about the parents. It is with true. The kids as like extra, like yeah, backup but characters. The, the, but yes, but the, another thing that's quite common is that when people have kids in movies or on TV shows, they often because of the difficulties around hiring child actors and stuff, the, the kids are often shoved aside. Yeah, and not really important. There was something as well in this movie that made me think of Tully, which is at, near the end of it, um, Helen goes, um, but what am I going to, who's going to watch the kids kind of a thing, and, which reminded me of Tully because there's that bit where he was like, oh, she'd never go out without anyone um, watching anyone. the kids. And then the nurse was like, you were there, weren't you? Yeah. So like that just reminded me of that. Yeah, there was a bit of that. Um, and also the, I mean, I know Violet's the oldest, but also like when Violet appears and she's like, who's watching Jack-Jack? She sort of assumed that Violet would look after the baby. And mm-hmm. she, even though she said to the kids, one of you look after Jack-Jack, one of you do the other thing, you know, superhero thing. And um, she just, when she sees Violet without Jack-Jack, she's like, who's looking after Jack-Jack? Mm. Like just assuming that the girl would do it. Yes. Well, yeah, she is also older and, and uh, more mature in right. every I, way I, than I'm, Dash, I'm aware of is... that. But it is one of those things where you just, it's just like one of those things that you notice. Yeah. And, and Dash is a bit hopeless really yeah um and wanted to set off the the um rocket launches in the middle of a store (laughs) yeah he's like child he's he's like a puppy yeah yeah uh i find him frustrating and i find violet's voice very unpleasant but that's not really really (laughs) yeah it really irritates me i've never had an issue with violet's voice and but also violet's voice is like a very deliberate choice like that's not she's not an actress she's a radio no, she's a radio presenter who she was on This American Life. And she's Brad, also been in movies. But stuff. not until after she did The First Incredibles. Right. Brad Bird, like, had to talk her into doing The Incredibles because she, re- she was well known for doing This American Life, but, uh, do, like, segments on This American Life. She wasn't the host. And he just – he listened to her on the radio and decided that he wanted her voice and he had to talk her into it and that if you look at her acting career most of it has been violent yeah it has. and a few other little bits in between but yeah she didn't it wasn't an actress before she did the incredibles and right. it was a very deliberate choice to give violet that voice yeah it's what it is i, I, mean, I just I'm not... don't, yeah i just don't have any i don't have any issues with it but okay that's but fair enough it, was, it which, just I, annoys it's... the fact that it annoys me doesn't and the weird thing is it's like a almost 50 year old woman and i'm mm. like it doesn't sound like – she doesn't sound like that. And he's just picked up her voice from her doing the radio. So he, you know, in her normal voice, and she would have been 30-something when he found her, you know, 14, 15 years ago. So, like, did she just sound like a teenager all Maybe. the time? Yeah, I don't know. 
I don't know. I mean, I don't. I, I don't know if this is what she sounds like all the time. I haven't listened her to, to no, her no, do I, this me, American me Life, so me I, I, I don't just, know. It if was this a weird. Is, it's just weird. One of those weird things that um, I don't know about. I know it's an unpopular opinion, but that vocal fry thing is like frustrating. Oh, I just thought that like, made it sound her sound normal. Like that makes the kid sound normal. I don't think she sounds normal. I think she sounds very stylized, mm. but she like and and like nervous and stuff. I know, but mm. it just it. Like it gives me the irrits to listen to. Oh, okay, it's croaky and and like makes me uncomfortable. Oh, <laughs> like she needs to take a lot of lozenges and drink a lot of water or something. Okay, that's like it doesn't really have any bearing I just, on the just, movie. No, it's no, just, it's all it's just interesting because it's something I just didn't notice. Like no. I know people talk about vocal fry, and I think I know what it sounds like, but I no, just it's that. It's, yeah, it's, it just, maybe it just doesn't bother me, or I just I don't know. Um, um, it's very much an American accent thing. That, it is, and yeah. it's and it's a thing that like mostly women do to emphasize certain points. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes I, f- I mean, I don't. Violet does it a lot, mm, like mm. a lot, a lot. Yeah, more than most of the people Which who I've heard it from goes but back yeah. to perhaps because she's not a professional actress. Yeah. Um, and and that's why she does it. Yeah. Doesn't have any bearing on anything. No, no. I just, it just annoys it, me. I just this was an interesting conversation. I thought that was interesting. And I find Dash annoying just as like a person uh, I, I i would get frustrated with him because he's he would he would but i he's kind of funny he's like he funny is, like a puppy yeah he is but he also doesn't take responsibility for no. his actions no. at all and, and when, everybody else around him is constantly making excuses for it and when he is asked to take care of the baby because in there is a situation where violet's powers are more useful than his at doing something he just kind of stuffs it up also, they really don't capitalize on his powers in this movie. Like, they capitalize on everybody else's. But at the beginning of the movie, he's faster than everybody else, right? Yeah. How come Violet is constantly two steps behind him? Yeah. It, like, and, and at one point, Violet and Elastigirl are right behind him, even though they were ages behind him yeah. earlier. And, and really, he's faster. Right. And they use them in the first movie. Like, they have him do things where they can't get to something, but he can because he can run fast. Yeah. They don't use them. Like, he's just. Yeah. And it, the sort thing of... is, he's only got one power. Yeah. Like, his sister has two powers, and his little brother has God knows how many. So, like, he's only got one. They need to use the one that he has. Yeah. I just thought I thought that they'd have him running on water or something. Yeah, yeah. Like do something with. Like I mean, his, one, his yeah. powers seem to be really, really like diminished in this yeah. and not used at all. And that maybe is as it's another reason why he's he's a frustrating kind of like Violet's mm. in it a lot, Jack Jack's in it a lot, but Dash is just kind of the third extra kid in this one. Yeah, very much. He take he's the bit like Jack Jack in the first one, really. Yeah, but Jack Jack in the first one it makes sense because he's a baby. Mm. Yeah, um, he is. Yes, I mean that mo- the most entertaining things in this movie are usually just Bob dealing with Jack Jack. Yeah, like that's just a lot of fun to watch him kind of try and sort that out, and then Edna's com- complete delight at having Jack Jack around is so wonderful. And the, the whole turnaround as well from yes, cause... when because he turns himself into her, <laughs> yes, which is really wonderful. She's like, oh, he's a little me. I love him. I know <laughs> she's amazing, great. but it, I love Edna so much. She's great, and we get the perfect amount of her. And the perfect kind of character moment of her going from "I am so fortunate that children have never happened to me." Yes, and like I don't have ch- I don't have any children facilities and stuff like that, and and complete turnaround to like, oh yes, I will babysit this one for free. Yes, I mean he is adorable. Like I don't 
not I, I haven't gone gaga over a baby in a while and I totally went gaga over this baby. Mm. I was like, I want a baby like that. And I'm like, he's a horrible he's worse he's than my cat. <laughs> he's a nightmare. You give him treats and he bites you. Like that is literally what my cat does. And he's like he's a nightmare, but also he's so cute and so mm. fun. And the whole him and Bob trying to work stuff out is hilarious and the baby outsmarting him constantly. Yes. That that's the joy of the yeah, yeah. one of the main joys of this movie is to watch Jack Jack slowly wear Bob down. And it was good. I mean, because the first, like, when the first movie came out, um, Brad Bird talked about making it because of his own experiences trying to balance his career with his family. Mm. And, like, when you reverse the gender roles, you kind of get some really interesting stuff there. But I also really enjoy um, the, um, oh, on that note, um, Void, at one point, Void is asking uh, how do you Helen balance, about that. Like the personal stuff. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and, and Helen just kind of like brushes off the question as completely unimportant and not worth listening to <laughs> as she gets distracted by something else. And I was like, yeah. Yeah. Um, that was pretty great. There's a lot of like little kind of niggles that oh. like that kind of sexist stuff without being really kind of obvious about it. When they open the monorail, there's an assistant who yeah. holds the microphone and then grabs the scissors and she's like, just he just throws the, the mm. scissors at her and everything, and she's just like standing there making sure everything happens right while this random dude does the the ribbon cutting ceremony. That those little moments of, of was, things like that. He was the mayor. He's Barry Bostwick, which made me oh, happy. Was he? Yeah. <laughs> he was the mayor from Spin City. Oh yeah, he was. Yeah. Um, he's also um, um from yeah from Rocky Horror. Yeah, yeah. But um, Brad, Brad yeah. from Rocky Horror. I didn't notice. I was too busy watching The Assistant. I think. Yeah. Um. But it, uh, yeah. The, also, it's it's so painfully obvious that they're setting up Elastigirl to succeed at the beginning. Mm. Like that. You know, the stuff like the monorail and everything is like it. It just that happens to ha- happen the first time she's there. Yeah. Using all of uh, Evelyn's skills. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's that the the fact that it's. I mean, it's just so convenient. Yeah. And then the the helicopter jacking as well. Well, I think you. It was all a bit too convenient. Like right from the very start, when Frozone runs into the very wealthy, like the car, the truck car or driver, like they immediately trust this rich guy. There's no kind of well, I think I ominousness think I get, about it. I get both Frozone and Bob doing that because Bob's an idiot. Yeah, and and, and Frozone them, is like it'll it'll go to his head. Yes, right. He, he's but, egotistical. Yeah, yeah. But um, Helen, you'd think would be just a bit more like cynical or or suspicious right and she's not and in fact she's kind of so excited that evelyn is like a hands-on engineer that you actually see her like smiling at evelyn and getting very excited about evelyn and like trying to make friends with her because yeah which is i don't know i feel like helen would be a little bit more circumspect in that i think that she connects with evelyn because evelyn's like oh yeah i invented this and and she sees evelyn as kind of like her yeah as in the person who's doing a lot of the work behind the scenes and not getting the credit for it yeah yeah which i get but i i she that there's a moment um when there's a really great conversation she has with evelyn at that party where she asks are you asking the cynic or the believer yeah which I think is one of the best conversations in the whole movie mm. because it's a moment when Helen doesn't doesn't talk about things in terms of whether it's good or bad, but like in really practical, straightforward yeah. terms that Evelyn um, yeah, can Yeah, the pessimistic with. approach or the optimistic approach. Kind um, of yeah, it's not so much pessimist and optimist as like two kind of practical beliefs. Mm. 
I just found that really, really interesting. And I think that's one of the moments when Evelyn particularly connected with Helen as well. Because yeah. she's like, um, I think she saw her as like her because she's not thinking about all that, all of the moral implications of something. No. Which she's kind of been freed from by not being around her family as much. Mm. Yeah. So she's able to like think about things on a more intellectual level and all of that sort of stuff, which is where Evelyn lives, mm. that she's thinking about everything in an intellectual level, but she's not thinking about anything on a moral level, mm. which is mm. the most interesting dynamic of the movie to me. Yeah, yeah, it was a that, great like, conversation. Yeah, it was a really great conversation, and I would watch a whole movie of those two just, like, they're, they're really interesting to mm. me. And some good little good dialogue as well. It's very um snappy, like... There's some good dialogue. There's some really well, awkward dialogue. The, well, yeah, the one where um, Helen's like, oh, you think it's easy? You're adorable? That's a bit awkward. Yeah. But there's some really good dialogue as well. And that bit with the two of them was, I thought, quite snappy. Yeah, I think so too. They're, they're, yeah, the the um, you're adorable bit stuck out to me too. And there's a bit where, um, where Helen has to cut herself off mid-sentence that sounds like there's no more sentence and uh-huh. things like that, that I think maybe it's because Holly Hunter's not usually a voice actor. Yeah, yeah. So there's stuff like that that just – and there's, like, a couple of bits where she and Bob are kind of talking in turns but not quite over each other that's a bit awkward, especially at the beginning of the movie. Mm. It, it mm. gets better later in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there were the, there was also, um, like, Dicker has a couple of really good lines. He does. Um, the one about if you want to get out of the hole, you've got to put down the shovel, which I just – I loved and felt was speaking to me personally. And the, um, and the one about um, – which I, I'm not going to get right, but the one about uh, politicians hate people who do good just for the sake of it. It makes them uneasy. It's, it's something like uneasy. Yeah, yeah it's, it's not. Ma- it's it's yeah. The implications make it makes them look bad, but it's it makes them uneasy. And, it's and, not just that it makes. I think it's less that it makes them look bad, and more that they think you always have an angle. Yeah, they oh. they're constantly looking for the angle. But those, those, kind those of the implication to me were like for the me. two best lines of the movie. Yeah, he was great. Um, and uh, yeah, and clearly been played by a different actor because he had there was an obituary in the. It was Credits. somebody famous, but I can't remember yeah, who now. Yeah, I, I don't remember. Um, he, was, he looked like Tommy Lee Jones, but I don't think it was Tommy Lee Jones. The voice he wasn't. looks a bit – he looks like a bigger version of um, of Bob's boss from the first one, which was a bit distracting oh, yeah. to me, But um, which was um, Rick Moranis, I think. No, no, it was um, Wallace Shawn. Wallace Shawn, that's right. Similar sort of people, I suppose. Uh, yeah, yeah, in a way. <laughs> but um, what was I going to say? About Dicker. No, I was going to talk about um, um, Bob Odenkirk. As, oh, um, oh as, as Winston, yeah, yeah. Yeah, who was also really great in this. Oh, yeah. He but he so looks great. so much – like the character looks so much like Bob Odenkirk that mm, it was mm. I was watching him like, oh, my God, who is that? It's driving me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I couldn't remember. Uh, it was Jonathan Banks playing Rick Jonathan Dicker, Banks, of course. And it was that's so famous. perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm really disappointed that we didn't get to see Honey in the movie. I know they did concept yeah. art for her. Well, for that this. was really sad because um, that was the one thing I knew about this movie going in. Oh, yeah, we're going to see Honey. Yeah, and we didn't. They obviously. I mean, I think they shot her and cut. Yeah, and obviously we hear her voice, but she used less voice in this one than she did in the. And first she doesn't one. have a big moment either. No, no. Like the first one, that's one of the most famous moments from The Incredibles. Yeah. Is the where is my Where's super, my super? Super? I'm the greatest good you are ever gonna get that bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is such a great, great moment, you know. Mm. And um, I feel like Frozen could have been in it more too, but that's just because yeah. he's my favorite. <laughs> And he's amazing and fun. He's amazing. He's so cool. I really like the uh, the sidekicks, like the second tier superheroes. Oh, There's yeah. one of them, by the way, who looks so much like my cousin. Oh, my God. Yes. Exactly like your cousin. That it was so distracting to me. Yeah. <laughs> I was like instantly I saw him and I was like, oh, my God. Um, yeah. I, Electrics. Yeah. Yeah. He looks so, he looks so much like my cousin. Oh, I know. Um, I know. I know. He did. 
And um, also he and the crusher guy yeah. wear very similar costumes. Yeah. And I was well, like. Well, I was like, are they a couple? That's or? what I did. I was like, oh, well, they're, they're actually played by the same actor. So. Wait, so the uh, the electric guy was also voiced by Phil Lamar? Yep. That's what it says. Wow. Good range, Phil Lamar. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't sound well, anything like him. I mean, that's, like that's what you get when you get voice actors. Yes. Yeah. I know, and I've, I've, I know Phil Lamar like from other things, yeah, but yeah, from, like, I wouldn't have picked Futurama that. Futurama and stuff, yeah. No, I mean, he's not, he, he's versatile enough that you don't always, yeah, pick him. Yeah, that was fun. Anyway. Um, and I spent ages trying to work out who was playing Void, but it was, it was, turns out it was Sophia Bush, but I thought it was someone like more famous. But I kept thinking that um, it was somebody like Aquafina, like or- a, a YouTuber or a like comic or something. Well, I thought it was. Um, she actually sounds like uh, Rose Leslie sounds in her American accent on The Good Fight. Okay. So I thought it was her for a bit. Then Rose Leslie must have a pretty good American accent because Sophia Bush is American, um, better than Elle Fanning at any rate. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Sophia uh, Elle Fanning, not yeah, her American well, accent, her British her accent, British which accent, is but... garbage in that Mary Shelley trailer. Yeah, no, I, it is actually pretty good. Um, uh, Rose Leslie's accent, but. Yeah, I, I was like, who is this? And she was so cool and she looks like um Kate Leth, the like yeah, comic writer, um, with her bright coloured hair and stuff. Yeah, and I like how she has these big crushes on the female superheroes. Yes, yes. Like, her little conversation with Violet at the end was really cute. And mm. their powers really complement each other well too. They could mm. probably be a pretty good superhero team if they wanted to. Yeah, yeah. Um that was another character whose powers they used to great effect. Um, Void. Yeah. Was yeah. her powers were used fantastically. Mm. Oh, and the scene where she's trying to get Helen up onto the jet. Yes, oh, my so God. That good. was so fun. And she's messing up because she's nervous because this is her hero. Yeah. Adorable. And But also the scene where she fights Violet. Like yeah, the yeah. way that they used those two powers against each other was so much fun to watch. Oh, my God. So clever. The fight scenes in this are so good. Uh-huh. Like I would like to see what Brad Bird would do with a live action um, action movie because uh-huh. they were so well choreographed. Oh my gosh, yeah, and and I we haven't even gotten into like um, Elastigirl and her bike and stuff, and the um, the stopping the train and things. Yeah, I loved Elastigirl on her bike, a little bit over the um, parachute power. Yeah, yeah, um, which she was used good, that a lot. It was a good one-off visual gag in the first one, but in this but one, she it's used like it every like five minutes, four times. Yeah, it was a bit much. I think they were setting that up for the end, so that when Void was saying, "Come on, make the parachute, save yourself," yeah, we would instantly know what it meant. Yeah. But it was a lot. It, it was a lot. But yeah, that, oh my God, yes. The Violet Voids fight though. My God. Yes. So clever. Oh, good. But yeah, I loved the um, when she split the bike. Oh my God, yeah. Um, and especially when she split the bike and then her back end was just dangling over the edge of the monorail, yeah. which made me laugh really hard. Um, there were a lot of like cute visual gags and oh. little jokes and things that I liked in fights, which I always, I always enjoy when fights are creative like that. Yeah. The, also, the fight between Bob and Helen was really cool to watch. Oh, yeah. Um, I thought it got, as usual, it got a bit easy after that to get the glasses off everybody. Yeah, it did. But I do, like, I love the thought of that, like, probably Helen has always thought how she would fight Bob. Like, mm. in the back of her mind somewhere, she's gone, oh, I know, like, they know where each other is weak. Mm. Um, and, and they would go for that. Like, she, I think she wraps her legs around his neck or something. Mm. Yeah, it does get a little, a little too easy to get the glasses off after that. But that bit is fun. Yeah. What was that? I was oh, that's right. I was watching the Sensei finale last night, and there's a moment when they all run away from these bad guys, and then they just go in and like completely destroy them. And you're like, if you could do that, why were you running away in the first right, place? Right, exactly. Which always gets me in these kinds of things. You know, it's mm-hmm. like that. This was a little too easy up until when they mm. were trying to stop the boat and everything when it got good again. Yeah, I think the this one 
like it's just not quite as watertight as the first one in terms um, of that sort of stuff. Yeah, but it's definitely a lot bigger in scope. Yes. And I also just would – I like – enjoy watching Helen more than Bob. I think Bob's kind of dumb yeah. and self-centered. Oh, yeah, she's way better. Whereas Bob being out of his element in this one was actually quite well, yeah, fun yeah, as well. Yeah. You, you, and it's using Bob like – yeah, well, that's right, putting him out of his comfort zone, yeah. using like the things that work for him in the first one against him. And watching him try to be happy for Helen with that, that smile that he does, which is really funny. When I watched this with my husband, he was laughing way too hard at that bit. And I was like, am I like that? I'm like that, aren't I? <laughs> it was really funny. It's so – it's very <laughs> marriage Yeah, it's great. And I like, loved it. And, and But, I mean, not just marriage. Like the, the sort of – like when your friend succeeds at something and you're like, oh, great, that's so great. <laughs> like I very much understand that feeling. I don't think I, I do I'm that very much. I'm a terrible person as discussed. No, I I don't think so. I think jealousy is a natural emotion and all that. I don't – I'm not that prone to jealousy really. Yeah. It's um, the competitiveness. That it just it, – it spoke to me, yes. that level of competitiveness. And, I, yeah, but, and when I heard him laughing at it, I was like, right, I think <laughs> I do this. Yeah. So anyway. I love the design of all the characters in this too. There's such variety in the design of different people. Mm, their bodies and stuff. Yeah, the body types and stuff, which there was in the first one. Like if you just look at a, at a you know, mm. an in shadow of a family, you know exactly who they are because everybody's yeah. got really individual silhouettes. And things. Yeah, like like Helen's sort of exaggerated curves, exaggerated sort of hourglass figure and then, but then there are other women who are more straight up and down or like Brick, who you pointed out to me at the end, is a woman. Yeah. And has a different body shape. Um, yeah, but um, even Void does. Like Void isn't a super skinny um, – she's no. got big shoulders and is quite yeah. tough looking, mm-hmm. um, which is different to um, to Elastigirl who's uh, – but also Elastigirl's curves get bigger after she has kids, which is yeah. really nice sort of like – you know, women's bodies change after they have kids kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's right. There's lots of different thi- like people who look different. You've got Tiny Little Edna and Great Big Brick and, mm. and you know, Void with her big shoulders. And then you've got um, the even Crusher and Helectrix who are like one's really yeah. big and one's quite skinny. And, and in Frozone who you can see the abs through his suit and Mr. Incredible who like when he was younger he was skinnier and now he's he's older and he's got a bit of a gut yeah. and like he looks different. Um, yeah, it's there's like a wide variety. Yeah, I really enjoy that. I think it's really nice to see them all, all lots of people with different body types working yeah. together. Because, you know, especially with um, superhero movies, live action superhero movies tend to have no body diversity. Like, not even the guys no. are all, I mean, there's more in the guys. You know, you've yeah. got Spider Man, but yeah. like most of them are the, you know, Dorito Captain America type. Mm. And then you've got the women who are all very skinny. Yeah, you can either be Dorito Captain America or you can be skinny like Spider Man. That's yeah. like, I mean, I think uh, uh, Banner gets a little bit of, yeah, well, uh, Banner and Tony get to be a little bit like less normal. Both of them are both on very extreme diets and gym programs themselves. Um, and then, then there's all the younger guys who they just get to get really jacked. And it's, um, it's actually something someone pointed out about how Star Wars doesn't do that with its male actors. Like it just, it lets them be basically as they are. <laughs> Do you remember what Robert Downey Jr. looked like in the first Iron Man, though, when he had the, like, singlet on? When yeah, he was, yeah, I remember. <laughs> oh, it, I'm not saying, like, I, I'm, it, but it is it is tough on the actors and also yeah. there's very little diversity in the types of bodies that you see. Um, yes. Um, which is, yeah, it, but this movie also did, like, really good background diversity. Mm. Like, you just had, you know, when there was a crowd scene or a newsreader or whatever, there, there was a variety of people. There were some Asian people and black people and white. Like not everyone was white. Mm. Not everyone was young. And there was, you know, different ages and children and old people and 
adults that look different ways. It was just it just like snuck that stuff. Like, not snuck the stuff, but just like it made an effort to do that stuff. Yes. Um, yeah, and I enjoyed that. <laughs> I want to know about all the superheroes who were just background because pe- there's like oh my god, yeah. When they when they're on the boat, there's this team that's like one's got a plus on its on their shirt and one's got a minus mm. that we only kind of glimpse a couple of times. I'm yeah. like, who are those guys? Uh, and there's some kind of magnetic power that yeah. they have. I, I want to know about all of those things. I want to know all of that stuff. That's exciting to yeah, me. Yeah, but, um, all, the, all the in hiding people. And there's so much you know design that goes into each one of those background characters. Yeah. Um, well, actually, just even thinking about that, there's among the superheroes, there's an old man with a big gut and yes. he's like very short and, and his power is reflux. Yeah, we even shoot um flame out of his mouth. That was funny. It was especially funny watching him go up against Frozone. That was great. Yeah, yeah, they um, were good together. And the Isabella Rossellini ambassador was like that was using her to really good effect as well. I, I love how um Elastigirl and the ambassador fangirled over one another. Yes, as well at so the nice. TV um the TV interview. There's there's some really really good female interactions in this movie. It passes the Bechdel test really well. Yes, like yep. the you know there's all kinds of different interactions like the kind of love-hate relationship between Evelyn and Helen and then there's Void and Violet and and um Void and Helen and yeah and then the ambassador, ambassador and Helen and and, yeah yeah it was great I really appreciated that yeah although most of the heroes are still white yes that's that's accurate even the new people they bring in yeah, like that's right. as major characters and, and Frozone is definitely a um, supporting character yeah, which is a shame. I would have liked to see him be in it a little more. I loved when Bob called him to come over. <laughs> that yeah. was really fun. Oh, no, Bob didn't. Violet, Violet him. calls him and he comes over and he's like trying to assess the situation. Yes. See, that to me was the perfect moment to bring Honey in. Right. Like she could come and help with this situation. Right. Or like, you know, snark at it or something. Right. Like, the, the, you know, that's a good time to have her around. It's not like they needed him specifically for his superhero imagine, knowledge. He's uh, just helping with family stuff imagine there. Imagine Honey getting in on the um on the Dash discipline. Oh, yeah. Like, she could give him a talking to and, and get him on track. That, yeah, that's the thing. I think the, the thing that frustrates me about Dash is that they just never, like, there's no consequences for his actions yeah he just kind of gets away with most things and even the stuff that he doesn't get away with like when he's like oh it's my sweet ride and his dad glares at him afterwards he's kind of like haha it's so funny nobody ever like Mm. sits him down and goes you are really irresponsible and you only think about yourself Mm. anyway well yeah i mean he expects his dad to explain the math to him yes exactly i mean and like obviously parents get involved in their children's homework and once or twice, maybe, like, you do have to learn some stuff and, 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 like, work through it with them. But it kind of, like, his dad sat down with him, showed him how to work through the problems. So next time, you know, look at what your dad did and work through the book, you know. Yeah, Even well, that he's was got like, another thing that he has to do. Yeah, yeah, but, like, he's – it's like, you know, teach him to fish kind of thing. Like, teach him that you can, you know, work to work through problems and things, and things like that. But I mean, yeah, I think it, that's what they were trying to do. But it, 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 he just expects that he just expects that dad or mum will be there to help him through it. Yes, he, yeah, he's he's very entitled child. Oh my god, so entitled, especially around the car and stuff. Ugh. Yes, that's why I find him frustrating. Yeah, because Violet has to like do a lot of the stuff <sighs> because he is just entitled immature brat. Yeah, um, and I know he is a child, but nobody's like trying to to help him through that stuff and mm. like help him learn and things you know yeah whereas i think they i feel like that that in the first one he was more of a part of it and those 
elements were like discussed at least a little bit right because i remember the bit in the running race where it's like oh you can't go too fast but you don't want to go too slow and that stuff yeah and he starts to listen a bit more right and there are two reasons you can't do this one's you're competitive and the other one is what is it no you got because you're a superhero what no no like his mother actually says to him I don't – she basically says I don't trust you to this because you've got a competitive streak and you're – there's something else as well. Yeah. But she, like, talks to him about it and why. Yeah, addresses some of those behavior things that are going yeah. on with him. Whereas Violet just kind of works through hers in this one. Yeah. Yeah, it's that expectation of maturity from girls and not boys. Mm. Mm-hmm. And Dash is a bit like a little Bob. Very much. Which is – I mean, Helen's such a good mother, but, you know, maybe Bob's just not able to cope with <laughs> behavioral – Issues that are being presented by Dash. Mm, and but I mean, this is, it, it's so nice that, like, at the end of it, they accept Jack Jack's powers and they're trying to teach him how to, you know, control them. Yeah, and that's stuff. right. So, yeah. Whatever. Yeah, that's right. And there's also a really interesting conversation very early on when Helen's, they're deciding whether Helen's going to go and do this thing where um, she talks about how the kids aren't old enough to have made the choice to hide their powers or not. Yeah. They're just born this. And then Bob talks about they're just born this way. I thought that was a really interesting, like, little conversation to have as well like it's not- it is yeah the, and the concept of um making people illegal for things that they like have they no control yeah, over they're, yeah exactly is really interesting in this world as well like when when brick was there i was literally like how is she in hiding mm. how is how is that hawk guy in hiding exactly like there's no hiding that power no they're like x-men mutants yeah yeah, Which X-Men right. does deal with all of these things. But in this these movies, they never do because the paths are so um, inconspicuous. Largely, yeah. Apart from, you know, the tiny car and all that stuff. But um, yeah. for the most part, they're pretty inconspicuous. They look like real people. Yeah. Whereas, like, that hawk guy can turn his head all the way around and seems to have feathers. Yeah. What and, does he do in his everyday life? Right. And Brick is, like, eight feet tall. Yes. And and orange. Yeah. Like, you know, how, how does she get around mm. in everyday life without people noticing that she's yeah a super anyway all of all of that is also to say that this was so much better dealt with than say civil war like in terms of you know making superheroes illegal and things like that it's this these oh movies God. deal with this with so much more like nuance and yeah civil war sensitivity. wishes it was the incredibles but anyway but yeah i think the only issue uh, that's it is another issue that was left dangling at the end of the last film is that uh, superheroes are still illegal yeah um whereas this they're, and they you know, they're in court and a judge finds that they're not illegal but like I mean, I'm sure that that was weird because they'd just been ratified by a UN council as legal yeah. as well. I well, I mean, international law doesn't really do a lot. Also, how why do they always do these things where they're like, we're going to get all of these people, like all of these ambassadors all of and the countries all of the are going to sign on to this. Oh. All of the heroes on one boat, on a boat at one a time, boat. away from protection. Like, yep. you're like, how dumb are you? A boat. Yes, I this mean, is a prime supervillain. Like, I'm yeah. just surprised that five more supervillains didn't attack the boat while it was I know, out there. Right? Like, this is this is a prime target for them. It's it's an idiotic idea. Yeah. They always do it in these things too. They're always like, let's just get a bunch of these people. Like the the um, Sokovia Accords. Oh, yeah. Like, of course somebody's going to attack those. Uh, yeah. Get better security and, you know. Like, don't do advertise better. it. Yeah, anyway, I mean, and, and I mean, it also, they, they like bend over backwards to try and make it as though countries actually agree on laws and organize, think, organize themselves like that in international forums when, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, quickly. 
do that quickly. Yeah, that's right. So, but anyway, yeah, it seems like though, you know, an American judge has gone, yep, you're definitely legal. <laughs> yes. Superheroes are cool. But I mean, there's still other problems to be resolved. Like who's going to pay them and all that kind of thing. But yeah, that's not a huge problem. I don't know if those, I mean, usually being a superhero isn't a job per se. It's yes. Or, well, um, yeah, that's the thing. You know, sometimes they get sponsorship deals. Yeah. It, I, anyway, I don't, I don't know. It's like an interesting thought um, because clearly they have to, that, like eventually Bob has to go and get a job, of course. Well, in the first one, that's about Bob having to go and get a job. So obviously yeah, they that's... got paid when they were being superheroes. And I think the implication is they were paid by the government. Like that's what Dickie yeah. represents, like, an, like the super secret government agency who pays all the superheroes. That's also a possibility. Yeah. Anyway, I'm, there's, I'm sure there's like things that can be worked out in Incredibles 3 if they ever make one. Ten know. years from now. Yeah, I mean, who, kno- who knows if they will or not. Um, okay. All right. Cool. So, rating? So, um, I will give this movie four stars. Yes, I will also give this movie four stars. It is a very good movie. It is. There's, there are a couple little, yeah. I, f- I just found the plot a little bit retreading the same. Yeah. And, you know, repetitive. But yeah, that's um, fun. But it looks so good. It's beautiful. I love the aesthetic of the this. From the writing. Oh, my yes. God. But also from the very, like, the credits when they do the Pixar logo in mm. the style and they've got the music oh, the, started already. Oh, the Disney already. logo and everything. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, yeah, it's cool. Oh, it's so good. You just, yeah, it really sets the mood. And the credits are amazing with all that music over there. Yeah. It, it just, there's so much detail that goes into, like, every little part of it that every I really appreciate. It's amazing. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much for listening to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. If you would like to find the show notes or old episodes, they're on our website, silverscreenqueens.com. If you would like to uh, find us on social media, we're at screen underscore queens on Twitter, facebook.com forward slash silverscreenqueens and tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com on Tumblr. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.